Good morning again. This morning, uh, we are going to talk about a prayer that we find in the Bible. And I remember that a month ago, uh, four weeks ago, I, I preached about prayer. And some might be thinking, is he, doesn't he have anything else to talk about or to preach? Yes, but uh, Jesus taught some lessons more than once. And so I think we can always benefit from seeing some aspects that we find here in the Lord's Prayer that will bless us, uh, that will potentially bless us in our walk with the Lord. But before we start this study, before we go into that, please join me as far as possible as I kneel down here and ask God's direction over this time together. Heavenly Father, one more time, once again, we uh, kneel down before you and we come before your throne of grace. Lord, trusting in the merits and the righteousness of Jesus Christ only. And we ask, Lord, that at this very moment, uh, your angels may be surrounding this place. That we may be protected here inside, not only from physical harm, but also, Lord, from any spiritual distraction, that we may be focused on the Word and on the Word only. May your angels be surrounding this place. May your Holy Spirit be in our midst, moving around. May our hearts be touched, and may we be sensitive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. Father, I ask that you may hide me, hide me behind the cross of Christ, that every word that I say now, may be an expression of your thought and not of my own. Help us, Lord, leave this place closer to you than when we first got in here. And I ask your direction in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. People ask for different things. People pray for different things. People pray for their needs and people present before the Lord what they need. And uh, I heard of someone who asked the Lord, Lord, make me a cornflakes Christian. Yeah, I said cornflakes. That's the word. Well, what does cornflake have to be, has to do with uh, uh, Christian life? Well, cornflakes may not be the healthiest food, but there is one thing about cornflakes. It's always prepared and it's ready to serve. And so this person wanted to be a Christian that is always prepared and ready to serve. Now, I don't know about you, but I see myself more like a porridge Christian. Porridge is, is low to prepare. takes a long time to be ready. And it's hard to stir. It takes a hard stir. And so I see myself like a porridge Christian. But it's all right. I think Christ's disciples were also porridge Christians. And they took a long time to learn some lessons. But some lessons need to be repeated, sometimes frequently, so that we might be able to learn them. And so, I talked about Jesus cleansing the temple uh, four weeks ago. And Jesus cleansed the temple how many times? Twice, two times. Not only one, but two times. And he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry. And at the end of his ministry, he went back to the temple and saw the same things taking place. 
and he had a, a holy indignation. That spiritual violence that made him uh, overturn tables and, and push those people away and said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. We talked about that. Well, prayer was essential, was important in Jesus' life. Was not important, was essential. And the disciples saw that Jesus had a life that was saturated with prayer. The Bible says that Jesus would wake up long before daylight. And he would go to a solitary place. And there the disciples would fi uh, eventually find him in that solitary place doing what? Praying, talking to his father. And the disciples saw the result of that life of prayer in Jesus' life. As he went out and he would heal the sick. And he would make the lame walk. He would make the blind man see again. He would restore even the life of some people who were restored. And they would see that there was a direct connection. A direct relationship between the life of prayer that Christ had. And the power that was manifested in his life. So much so that one of his disciples came to him and said once, Lord, teach us to, teach us, teach us to pray. And the Lord took time to teach them to pray. Now, I should tell you this, that the Lord taught people to pray not only once, but two times too. He taught them to pray first when he was giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father which art in heaven. And he went on. And then later on, a few months later, during his ministry, the disciples saw how powerful his ministry was. And, and they came to him and said, Lord, teach us, teach us to pray. And because they were not cornflake Christians, they were porridge Christians. The Lord knew that they were slow to understand. And the Lord took time with them and said, Okay, I'll teach you again how to pray. And it's just interesting to see that the first time that Jesus taught prayer was in Matthew chapter 6, the passage we are studying this morning. And the other time was in Luke, Luke chapter 11. And when you read Luke 11 and you read Matthew 6, you see that there is virtually no difference in the wording. Jesus is saying the same thing in Luke 11 that he had said already in Matthew 6. And then you think, uh, why then? Well, because they were slow to learn, as we are. And so Jesus took time to teach them how to pray. But Jesus taught the same thing over. Jesus didn't come with a different... Uh, teaching, he taught the same thing. And so some people might be tempted to think, and I don't want anyone leaving this place here this morning thinking that Jesus taught us a formula. Well, now we have this formula. Formula. All we have to do is to memorize what has been called the Lord's Prayer. We have to memorize that prayer, and then we go into our bedroom, into our prayer chamber, and we repeat that prayer over and over until the Lord uh, will finally answer. Before anyone would think that, let's just go back here to verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8 in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says, And when you pray, do not use what? Vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, 
For your father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. So this cannot be a set formula. This cannot be a prayer that you must memorize and then just repeat it over and over. Because the Lord himself is saying that do not use vain repetitions. Just don't go on repeating yourself and thinking that by doing this, the Lord will finally hear you. Because the Lord already knows what you need. Amen. So what Jesus is teaching here is a model. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. But if we look at this prayer here, and we think, well, how can we apply what we read here? How can we apply this model of prayer in our life today? We have to be able to read this, to study the model prayer, and be able to kind of translate or to see the relevance that it has to our life today. So, for example, I know that many people in the English language have memorized the Lord's Prayer from the King James Version. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And if we were to think about those words, what is hallowed? Holy. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name. And then Jesus goes on to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, but deliver us from the evil one, and do not lead us. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead myself. Verse 12, And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is a model prayer that we should be able to interpret in today's language. We should be able to apply it to our lives every day and, and make this model our model of prayer in our own language today. In our own words, in our own form of expression today. Formula prayers, those prayers that you memorize are not the best ones. Someone came up with this prayer once. Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped. I have not lost my temper. I have not been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. I have not whined, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. However, Lord, I'm going to go out of bed soon in a few minutes, and I'll need a lot more help after that. Well, those are prayers that you memorize, but they're not the best ones. Rather, let's see what Jesus is saying here. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. There is no one holier than you are. I am not holier than my brethren. Because you are the Holy One. That puts us into the right perspective. When we look at God as the Holy One. And when we say, give us today our daily bread. What is the daily bread? Our needs. Not only the food that we need to eat every day. But all of our needs. So Lord, 
give us today our daily bread. And Lord, even when, I, when I'm not strong enough to go to work, even, Lord, when I have uh, exhausted our resources, resources this month, there are more days in the month than my salary can cover. And I have two, three, four mouths that need to be fed. And Lord, when I can't find any other way out, please provide for my needs, Lord. Lord, give us our daily bread. Give us our basic needs. We don't need, we don't need any kind of wealth. We don't need more than, than the basic to live. And that's what we are asking for. But Father, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or deliver us from evil. And what we are saying here is, Lord, first of all, keep us safe from ourselves. And keep us safe from any form of evil in this world. You know, in our times of desperate need, need, and those times where we need God the most, those are the times where we tend not to find the courage and the strength to pray. And we find ourselves discouraged. And we say just a little, a little more. And once I, I recover, once I get myself together, I'll go back and pray to the Lord. That's the exact time. That's the right time when you need to go down on your knees and ask the Lord to help you. As a, an American a theologian once said, we mutter, we mutter and we sputter. We fume and we spurt. We mumble and grumble. Our feelings get hurt. We can't under, understand things. Our vision grows dim when all that we need is a moment with Him. That's the moment you should turn to the Lord. You should go to Him and ask Him to, to help you. But I want to focus now on two other parts here. And I believe there are two lessons we need to learn. We can learn from these verses in the Lord's Prayer. And that's what we're going to focus uh, going forward as we finish the message. First, Jesus says, your kingdom, kingdom come. That's in verse 10. Your kingdom come and your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then in verse 13, he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever." Amen. Now, when we ask the Lord, Lord, may your kingdom come. There are some, there are some consequences related to that. First of all, we, we are acknowledging that all power, all dominion, all strength, all fame, all glory belong to, to God. And this is extremely important, particularly now in the days we're living we have a new, a new president in the United States of America uh, that took office just about a month ago. And people are concerned with what kind of actions uh, the president of the United States will be taking. And some actions have been disputed in the past month. And people are concerned with what uh, uh, direction the United States is taking. And people see fulfillment of prophecy in some things that are taking place. And all of that is, is fine. All of that is true. But we cannot forget that God is still in control. God is the one in control. I have a quotation here from the book Patriarchs and Prophets that I'd like to share with you. And it says this. In the annals of human history, 
the growth of nations, the rise and fall of empires, appear as if dependent on the will and prowess of men. The shaping of events seems to a great degree to be determined by his power, ambition, or caprice, or caprice. But in the word of God, the curtain is drawn aside, and we behold above, behind, and through all the play and counterplay of human interest and power and possessions, the agencies of the all-merciful one, silently, patiently working out the counsels of his own will. Amen? It may not look like, you may look around and you see violence and you see religious freedom being threatened and you see people being killed when they were just worshiping in their house of worship. And you see our lives being threatened, our religious liberty being threatened. But let's not forget that all those things could be used by God as His agencies to silently, patiently work out the counsels of His own will. And we don't know much about the future. We have one clear major event coming up, which is what? The second coming of Jesus. That's the one we can be assured of. That's the one we can be sure, absolutely sure of. The Bible says so. We have this one major event coming up. Between then and now, many things will take place. Of which we have no control. No control. But God is in control. So when you pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that you are acknowledging that God is in control. And so, therefore, there is no room for anxiety. There is no room for despair. You should know, go about the business of your life being afraid, being scared of what's going to happen next. Because God is in control. Your kingdom come. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, there is another lesson that I'd like to call your attention to. And as I've said, it's only two lessons, so this is the last one. When, let's suppose your child has, uh, uh, so the first is that God is in control, right? Let's suppose your child has a, a field trip with school. And everything is covered for. The school is providing the bus, um, the, uh, the uh, how do you call it? the registration to the place. Everything is covered. But your child comes to you and says, may I have $5? Because, you know, we're going to visit the, the, the shop at the end. And maybe I want to buy something as a souvenir. And so $5. And when you give those $5 to your child, uh, Inside of you, there is an expectation that those $5 will be used for that purpose. That when your child comes back home, they will be bringing some souvenir that they got from that trip. But if they come home and you find out that they, they wasted the $5 in something that, were, uh, that was not appropriate, there is a sense of uh, disappointment in you maybe, or frustration rather. So what I'm trying to say is that whenever you ask for something, and that something is granted, 
There is a reason why that something was granted to you. And so as we ask the Lord, Lord, your kingdom come. Lord, may your kingdom come soon. There is also along with that a consequence. That we are asking the Lord to come and establish the kingdom that he has promised. And that we are prepared for that. And that not only we are prepared for that encounter with the Lord, but we are also helping others be prepared. Does that make sense? I'm not stretching the truth saying this, am I? No, the Lord is, the Lord is willing to establish His kingdom of glory soon. But we need to be prepared if we're asking for that. And we need to help others be prepared as well. The kingdom of glory cannot be established before invitations are sent out. Before everyone across this globe, everyone will hear of the gospel of the kingdom. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. It's not before the end. And the end is not before the gospel is preached. Only then Jesus will come. And you know God's kingdom of grace is, is expanding. I don't know how many of you heard but... In the Seventh-day Adventist Church alone, last year in the country of Rwanda, there was a major evangelistic series. And more than one, almost, not more than, but almost 100,000 people were baptized in that country alone. In the month of May of last year. 97-something thousand people were baptized. Two years ago, I was still with It Is Written. And those were good times. I'm now living excellent times here with the Bellevue Church and the made-up church. But I had the privilege of going to the Philippines with It Is Written. And we had evangelistic series there. Series there. And at the end of that, that uh, week-long or 10-day-long series, uh, it was not a, a big place. It was like the gym of a school. And so at the end, many people made a decision for Christ. We went to the school, a swimming pool outside, the outdoor swimming pool. And 12 pastors went into the, the pool and we baptized all together. Of, uh, almost 300 people on one night. Praise the Lord for that. So God's kingdom of grace is expanding. Just last year, we had a baptism in this church where four people, four precious souls were baptized into God's family. So the work is going out. The word is going out. The work is, is being accomplished. And the reason why the church exists is to preach the gospel. But I want to draw your attention to another text here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 9 why is it why is it that you and I have been called and I tell you it's it's regardless of whether you are already a baptized member of the church or not you've been called for this reason 1st Peter 2 verse 9 but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his, ho his own special people. 
And I'm going to stop here. And before we get all puffed up, and we say, yes, I'm chosen. I've been chosen. I'm a special generation. I'm, I'm a royal priesthood. I'm part of royalty. I'm a holy nation. For his own special, I'm his own special people. But what for? And Peter says, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The reason why you and I have been called here. And this is what we learn as a consequence of asking God's kingdom to be established. We have been called here to reflect, to show to the word the beauty of God's character. That's, that's the purpose of the gospel. The gospel has, we have not been called to share the gospel to indoctrinate people. We have not been called to coerce people into any kind of truth. You know, Christians over time, over the centuries, have used even violence to convince others of their positions. That's not what we are called for. We are not called to convince anyone. We are called to proclaim the praises of Him who called us. We are called to show people the beauty of God's character. We are called to reveal God's character to others. And in the process of revealing God's character, we are going to show them the, the beautiful truths we find in God's word. I would like to say that the church, I mean someone has said, not me, someone has said that the church is, is not a, a, a club for saints, but it's rather a hospital for, for sinners, right? That's what someone said. And, and I would say that I'd like to see the church as a life-saving station, if you will. Where people come to be saved. Where people are invited here to find real life. And this is done not forcefully. This is done not... Uh, by coercion, this is done because God's character is reflected in our life. And this is all encompassed in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and for God's will to be done here, we have to reflect His character. I'd like to tell you a story of uh, a life-saving station I once read. And maybe... This story will somehow resonate with what you know. So there was this dangerous sea coast where many, many ships uh, would, go, uh, would go down. Shipwrecks would often occur in that sea coast. And there was once this little life-saving station. It was very small. The building was primitive. And the resources were few. There was just one boat. But the members of that life-saving station were committed. There were people who were committed to do what they were supposed to do. What they had been called to do. And whenever a ship went down. They would unselfishly go. Whether it be day or night. They would go into the sea to save lives. And they would bring those people and care for them. And rescue them. And make sure that they would go back to life normally. And because that life-saving station became so famous, many people wanted to be associated with that. Many people became uh, 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 
members of that life-saving station. And with more people, more resources came, more talent, more money, and they all wanted to be associated with that life-saving station. And with all those resources now, they were able to buy new boats for the life-saving station. And they, they said, we need to start a formal training plan here, a formal training program. And so they hired more crew, and they trained the crew. And they trained how, trained those people how to go out into the sea and save lives. And the life-saving station continued to grow. But as the membership in the life-saving station grew, some of the members became unhappy because the building was so primitive and the equipment was so outdated. And so they wanted a better place to be able to welcome the survivors. And they, they put more money in and they renovated the building and they were able to buy uh, beds and they replaced the emergency cots with the beds. And they put better furniture, they enlarged the building and it was now newly renovated and newly decorated and everyone had pleasure in going to that life station. But as the life station became more and more a popular place, people would go there to gather, to have fellowship. And if you would go to that life station any given day when people were meeting there, you would see that there was a real feeling, a real sense of love. They really cared for each other. They, they really loved each other. And they would spend time telling each other how their week had been and how things had happened during the week and the events that had taken place in their lives. And they would say, t t talk about their own families and share all of that. But less and less they were willing to go out and save people from the sea. So just about this time there was a large ship that went down. And the people, the members of the life-saving station were not willing to go out there. And they said, now we have hired crews. Let's just go and send them. Why don't they go? And so the hired crew went there. And they rescued people and they brought bo uh, boatloads of people. And all those people came into the life-saving station. Some of them had fair skin. Some of them had black skin. Some of them could speak English very well were very well educated. Others could, speak, could barely speak English. Some people were wealthy. They were first class cabin passengers. Others were poor. And they all were brought there. And, and beyond that, some were sick. Some were dirty. Some didn't smell good. And people were not happy because now all the plush carpets that they had just put down was all soaked with water from the sea. And they were uh, indignated with that. Some of the furniture, as people were being brought inside, some of the furniture got scratched, and they didn't like that. So they decided in the next board meeting that they were going to install a shower outside the building. And so anyone being brought there should be cleansed outside of the building first before they would be able to make it into the building. And, though, and so the next board meeting, some members said, listen, I think there is something wrong here. Because we've been called to save lives, and now we're enjoying the fellowship more than anything else. And I think we should go back to our main function here, to our main purpose, our main, main mission. But those members were eventually voted down, and the others said, well, we're having a good time here. If you want to dedicate more time to saving lives, that's fine. 
But you go and you start your own life-saving station in another place. And the story says that that's what happened. They went out, they separated, and they started a very poor little life-saving station, which was dedicated only and purely to saving lives. But the story also says that uh, history repeated itself. And though, so eventually that one life-saving station, that second life-saving station grew, and people started to enjoy the fellowship more than anything else, and a few uh, of them, few of them, a small group, separated again and created a third one. And today, if you were to go to that seacoast, you would see several nice buildings that function as clubs, and people have a good time, and they really love each other. But there is only just a few small, tiny, life-saving stations that really do what they were supposed to do. So, my friends... Here is the calling that you and I have. As we ask the Lord, Lord, may your kingdom come as quickly as possible. We can no longer live in this world full of tragedy, full of disease, full of vice, full of all these problems. We want to live in a land where honey and milk flows. As we pray that prayer, let's remember that we also have a duty to help Jesus save lives. That he is in the business of saving people. And so should we be. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church for 30 years. If you've been in the church for all your life. It doesn't matter if you have just started coming to church. If you've been called to the gospel ministry. If you've been called to the gospel. You've been called to share God's word with others as well. The way you know it. The way you can. You don't need big words. You don't need nice words. You just need to share with others that which Jesus has done for you. And when we do that, we'll be cooperating with Christ as his servants, as his missionaries, to bring more people to the awareness of the gospel and to the awareness of the fact that very soon, there is one truth in the Bible that we cannot escape from, that Jesus will come and will take us home. May the Lord bless us all today.